Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. Right, let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much. You've promised, Lord, that you'll guide us with your eye, that you'll instruct us and lead us and teach us. You've said that we, your sheep, will know your voice. And God, I really do pray today that you would help each one of us to recognize your voice better. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So that's why we're here today. And I'm going to tackle the subject in a slightly unusual way. I have done many talks about guidance and hearing God's voice, and I've heard many talks, but normally they focus on one uh, aspect or one scripture, and today I thought it would be very helpful to look at a long story, a real-life story of the Apostle Paul from before he was a believer to the end of his life. The, the last few years of his life we don't have very much detail about, but I'm going to do a, a scan of most of his Christian life because when we see the teachings about guidance in a real life example, we get a better, in fact, a real understanding of what those teachings are all about. You know, if I hear a, a teaching or a, a doctrine that says something, I can understand it. it, it becomes theory, it becomes something in my mind, but when I see it lived out in somebody's life, suddenly I get a much better picture of what that teaching really means. And so rather than theory, I'm going to tell us a story of Paul's life. Um, and I would welcome any questions or any interjections, any thoughts or comments that you guys have, because I'm sure that you have input into the subject. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 9, verse 5. A lot of scriptures. Um, but hopefully they will be interesting because it's in story form. In Acts chapter 9 verse 5, Paul is on a horse. He's been murdering Christians. You may think Paul is this high and mighty, wonderful apostle. How can his life story relate to simple me? But the reality is that Paul was not always that. He was uh, a very violent, sinful man. Some people have said he was the Osama bin Laden of his day. He, he really was. He was killing people on a mass scale. He, he was a murderer. A really, a f he, he did it in the name of religion, but he was far from God. He had murderous intent in his heart. And God arrested him on a, a road to Damascus, a bright light shone. And in verse 5, he says, Who are you, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. A goad was a thorny stick that a person used to uh, prod a horse or a cow to make it go faster or to change its direction. It, it was a thorn. And God was saying to Paul, Up until now, I've been using a thorny stick, which is difficult circumstances and painful events to try and get you to find me and you've been kicking against them. So the first step in Paul's uh, guidance from the Lord, even before he was a, a Christian, was he was being pressed by sharp, painful events. And I'm sure many of us have seen that in our lives. I know for my life, I had a lot of sharp, painful events in my life that led me to Christ. Some people find Jesus when everything's going well in their lives. There are those events. But many people um, 
some of you here, I know it took some pain or some difficulty to, to get us to the place where we looked up from life for long enough to say, well, maybe God, you exist. And so the, the first step in guidance is often the, the sharp, painful goads. But Paul's response is amazing. The very next verse, he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And this is essentially very, very important. Um, welcome, welcome. Come on in. So the first step is making Jesus Lord. There is a wonderful summary verse in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I'm sure most of you know this verse. If you've been in church for a while, uh, he says, I beseech you, brothers, in view of the mercy of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your logical worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to know and prove what God's good, perfect and pleasing will is. So that little verse in Romans 12, Paul summarizes this whole thing of how we can get to know God's good, perfect and pleasing will. But the first step is to lay my life as a living sacrifice on the altar. You know, in the Old Testament, they would lay a cow or a sheep or something on the altar. They would kill it and they would burn it. He says, our first step in being able to hear God's voice is I have to lay myself on the altar as a living sacrifice. Let me make this real and practical. If I am not at the place where I say, God, you are Lord and I want to do your will, I won't hear his will. <laughs> I will get pushed around by thorny goads. Does that, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It's only when I come to that very first surrender of saying, God, I want your will. You are God. You deserve to tell me what to do. But also your will is good, perfect, and pleasing. It's better than I could have worked out. When I get to that first step of saying, Lord, my life is yours, then my ears are open and I no longer have to be prodded around by God. I can now hear. And the reason I'm kind of belaboring this point a little bit is because I have seen in my own life and in many, many Christians' lives, I've been a pastor for many decades now, and I've seen people who are trying to hear God's will, but they have not come to the place where they say, God, whatever you want is right. Psalm 119 verse 128 says, all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right. That's the, that's the expression of God, your Lord. Whatever you say is right, God. It's not what I think. I'm not going to filter it through my own opinions or perception. God, you are God. And whatever you say, you deserve to be obeyed and followed. And your will is right. And it's good, perfect, and pleasing. I want what you want. When I get there, suddenly my ears are wide open to hear what he has to say. But if I'm not there, I can't really be sure that I'm going to hear God's will because there's so much of myself still speaking so loudly is that God or is that me or what do I want but that first step of Lord and Paul came to that place on that road in Damascus he said Lord what do you want Lord that word Lord means boss king what do you want and so I, I really uh, want to say nothing else I'm going to say today really makes sense if we haven't we, we can't expect to be hearing his will if we don't want to do it, you know? 
This, it's just logical, really, isn't it? But extremely um, real and practical for us. Have I surrendered? You know, there's the, the illustration. I remember when I was a young Christian, I, I heard and then I, I shared the illustration of the house of your life. There's the dining room with all your appetites. There's the lounge where you rest and recreate. There's the library where you study. There's the kitchen where you feed your desires. There's all these different things. And the, the illustration was, have you given every room of the house to God? Or, or is it just some parts of your life, but there's this little room I want to keep for myself? And that's this idea of you are Lord. Lord, what do you want? First step. Biggie. That, that's a biggie, that, that first one. Right, I'm going to move on. A few verses later, uh, Ananias entered the house where Paul was. So about three days later, Paul's now, he's been blinded by the bright light and he's been waiting three days in Damascus uh, for a man to come and pray for him. Um, he's been fasting and praying and a man called Ananias comes into him and says, um, laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, this is the second thing. I, I believe um, that the Bible teaches that we receive the Holy Spirit when we become Christians. Um, Romans chapter 8 says, If anyone doesn't have the Spirit, he does not belong to Christ. Everyone who believes in Jesus, who says, Lord, I love you, I believe in you, we receive a part of God's Spirit in us. But... In Acts chapter 6, when they are choosing men to help uh, organize the, the tables, he says, choose men who are filled with the Spirit. In other words, there were some Christians who were filled with the Spirit, and there were other Christians who just had a part of the Spirit. And this man comes to Paul and he says, the Lord has sent me to lay my hands on you, to pray for you to be healed and filled with the Spirit. Three days earlier, Paul had received a portion of the Spirit, but he hadn't been filled to overflowing. And this is so important as well. It's the Spirit who guides us, and if we haven't been filled to overflowing with the Spirit. Now, this is a whole nother talk and another topic about how you get filled with the Spirit, but it's really, I could summarize it in the words of Luke 11, verse 11 to 13. Jesus says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for bread, will give him a scorpion? He's, he's saying, if your child asks you for something good, you'll give him something good. And then he says, in the same way, your heavenly father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. It's as simple as saying, God, I want more of you. And he says, I'll give you as much as you want. <laughs> I'll, never, I'll never say no. He says, you, an earthly father would never say no to their child. And he would never allow them to get something harmful or bad. In the same way, if you go to God with this request, God, give me your Holy Spirit, he never says no, and he never allows you to get something evil, which is so encouraging. And I would just say, desire more of the Holy Spirit. In my own life, in my, uh, my family's life, and many people I know, it's been as simple as on your knees, on your own at home, saying, God, give me more. Fill me with your Spirit. And He does. He just, he just does every single time. So the second step, the first step is make Him Lord. The second step is we need to be filled with the Spirit because it's the Spirit who guides us 
And if we are limiting what the Spirit has of us, if we say, I don't want more of your Spirit, then we're not going to hear His voice very clearly. Right, now the third part. Um, there are verses, in fact, let me just read you one verse to back up what, it, what I'm going to say. Galatians 2, verses 1 to 2. Paul says, then after 14 years, 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and I took Titus with me. Um, I went up by revelation, communicated to them the gospel, which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run my race in vain. The uh, experts have studied the book of Acts and all the different letters that Paul wrote, and it's very easy to get a timeline of Paul's life. And from the time he was saved on the road to Damascus to the time he started doing ministry in Antioch, there was about a 13 or 14 year period when he was in obscurity. And this is the next part of the, of the guidance portion, is allowing God to renew our thinking by studying his word, by praying, by living it out. And there is no shortcut to, to this process of allowing God to rewire my thinking. I watched a movie recently. I don't normally recommend movies because there's always a risk that um, somebody's not going to like the movie that I've recommended or something. But um, I watched a movie recently called Arrival, and it was about aliens arriving to Earth. I don't believe in aliens. Just for the tape, I don't believe in aliens. Get this straight. <laughs> but these aliens came, and they were trying to help humanity avoid a crisis that humanity was going towards. And all these experts were trying to work out what was going on with, the, with these aliens, but it was a language expert, a lady who learnt their language. And in the process of learning their language, her brain was rewired to where she could understand. They could actually see the future. And by learning their language, they didn't have a linear language like we do, where it's one letter and one word in a sentence. Their language was all mixed up and jumbled, and it took her a long time to try and understand how do these people speak. But as she understood their language, her thinking changed, and she became able to see the future, and she averted the crisis, and it was wonderful, and it was a great story. But it, there was a real... Um, powerful message about Christianity there that as we learn God's language, as we read his word and we allow it to change our thinking, we start to think like God. And the Bible says that this whole book was written by the inspiration of God, by the Holy Spirit, which means if I learn to recognize the sound of his voice from this, I will recognize the voice when he speaks to me by his spirit in my heart because it's the same voice. And as I read this and I allow it to challenge me and I allow it to change my thinking, as this becomes my language, I start to think the thoughts 
of God. So that verse I quoted earlier, Romans 12, it says, present your body as a living sacrifice. Then it says, don't be conformed to the way this world works. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to know and prove what God's good, perfect and pleasing will is. It, it happens as this changes my thinking, I start to just intuitively think like God and I get to know how he's leading me. And for Paul, that took 14 years, 14 years. Much of it was in the wilderness. He says, I went to the, the desert areas and then he went to Tarsus, which was his home town. And m many people believe he was married because he was a Pharisee and his wife left him because he had become a Christian. He worked as a tent maker because he could no longer work as a Pharisee because now he believed in Jesus. He struggled for years in obscurity, his family rejecting him. He talks later in the Bible about, I was whipped so many times, but we can't find all those events of when he was whipped in the book of Acts. So it probably happened when he was in Tarsus in those years of wilderness studying, working through the scriptures, allowing God to retrain his thinking. He says that he had revelations of heaven in that time, which were amazing. And he, he explains that in all of his letters, Galatians and Ephesians and Colossians, he explains what he understood, what God revealed to him about grace and the whole purpose of, of God's working through, through time. But in that time of 14 years, his brain was rewired. And I want to say that you and I, if it took Paul 14 years, we, I don't, I don't think we can really expect anything less. Um, every, every person who did anything for God in the Bible had a period of training. Abraham waited 25 years for the promise. Joseph, 14 years, many, much of it in prison. David, uh, about 20 years from when he was anointed king to when he became king. Jesus, uh, 30 years just in obscurity and then the time in the wilderness. Uh, Paul, 14 years. Every single person who did anything for God had a time of their brain being rewired. And you and I need that. There's no shortcut and studying the Bible and letting it change our thinking is so helpful and so important. Um, I mean, there's some basic guidance issues that are just no brainers. They're just so simple that come from reading this. I don't once I've read the Bible for a short time, I realize I don't need to pray for guidance about should I leave my wife and marry another woman? I don't need guidance about that. God's word has made it so clear. I don't need guidance about, you know, should I steal? Should I do an illegal deal to get a better job? I don't need guidance from, I don't need to pray about it. It's clear. There's so many basic things in the Bible. But then, this is the thing I just want to mention now, um, is the big, what I call the big picture of the Bible is, you know, there's so many verses and truths in the Bible, but how do we know if this truth is more important than this truth? They, they need to be held in balance, but how do I know? What's the hierarchy of, of Scripture? What, which bits do I prioritize? Which bits do I read through the context of this bit? Do I, or do I just kind of muddle along? How do I? And the Bible does make itself clear, but it takes time to get there. 
But I want to say that the ultimate, I don't have time to talk about all the different truths and how they fit together, but the ultimate pinnacle truth is what the, the Christian world calls the Great Commission. Have you heard of it? I'm sure you have. Does anyone know where the Great Commission occurs in the Bible? Matthew 28. But did you know that it occurs not there only? So Matthew 28. Go therefore make disciples of all the nations. This is what Jesus said just as he was finishing his time on earth. He was about to leave and he summarized the mission for his disciples. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them. And I'm with you to the end of the age. But it's also recorded in Mark 16. He said to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. Matthew, Mark. What about John? John 20, 21. Jesus said to them again, peace to you as the father has sent me. So I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. The same. That's the same event, but recorded from John's perspective. Luke. Then he said to them, thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. The same commission from Luke's point of view in Acts 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The Great Commission is recorded in all four Gospels and in the book of Acts. And Paul, at this time in history, did not have the four Gospels in the book of Acts. So God used the Old Testament to give Paul the Great Commission. And in Acts 13, when Paul is preaching at his first his first mission out, he's preaching, he summarizes his mission and he quotes from Isaiah chapter 46, sorry, 49. And he says, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you shall be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Paul summarized everything he'd learned in 14 years. He says it all comes under the big picture of God loves the world and we must be like Jesus saying, go out of our comfort zone to help people and, and bring the gospel to people. If, if our theology prioritizes anything other than the lost of the world, I'm not saying all those other truths are unimportant. They are worship, prayer, uh, fellowship, um, the lost, the needy, all these things are important. But for Paul, it was summarized under the heading of the Great Commission. And because he didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, God used Isaiah. Let me just read it to you again. For so the Lord has commanded us. I've set you as a light to the Gentiles that you shall be for salvation to the ends of the earth. In Acts 13, 47, Paul says, this is why we exist. They, they giving him a hard time in the first town he's preaching. And he says, this is what the Lord has commanded us. All of those 14 years of, of understanding all the Bible and everything, it was summarized under that heading. And the reason I'm saying this so emphatically is because every single thing that we're going to say from now on, 
there's another four points. Every single one of them, you can't understand it if you don't understand that Paul was driven by his knowledge of Scripture underneath this heading of we exist to reach the world. If, if we're looking for guidance from God, but we don't understand the mission that he's already plainly told us in the Bible, we will misinterpret the guidance that he gives us. Let me explain that to you. If I say to you, Susan, there's a lovely little um, co-op shop down the road, and you need to go to the co-op, and you're looking for the co-op, and then you say, but how do I get there? And I say, well, you go down the street, and you go there, and you go there, and you go there. You will understand all the directions I give you when you understand that your end goal is the co-op. If you don't understand your end goal is the co-op, you'll take all the directions that I give you, but you will still be wondering, where on earth am I supposed to go? And unless I understand the big goal of God for all of us as Christians, not just super evangelists or church leaders or the mighty gifted person, for all of us, the Great Commission is the, the kind of big picture goal, then all the little guidance, who should I marry? Where should I work? Um, how should I treat this person? What does God want me to do in this situation? How do I deal with this financial question? All of those other things only make sense if I understand the big picture. But when I do understand the main goal of scripture, then all the other things make sense. And I'm gonna show you how that works now. So. This is where it gets exciting. All of that was just the groundwork of how Paul got ready to hear from the Lord. It took 14 years. He made Jesus Lord. He got filled with the Spirit, and he understood the Bible and the Great Commission. But now we're going to see practically what happened. So Acts 13, verse 2, it talks about the church was gathered in Antioch. They were praying and fasting. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Paul and Barnabas Actually, it says Saul and Barnabas because that was an alternative name of his for the work to which I've called them. So the church, the gathered believers were praying and fasting and listening to God's spirit. And together they came up with a message for Paul, which was go and plant churches. Again, you see it's in the context of the Great Commission, but the church was involved. And if we are not allowing other believers, and it's not all believers. You, you remember when I read to you from Galatians where Paul says, after 14 years, I went to Jerusalem and I shared not with many, but just with a few people, the gospel that I was preaching, just to make sure that I, haven't, I hadn't got it wrong. We have to not listen to every voice and every Christian, but there needs to be some other Christians that can speak into our lives because otherwise I've seen it in my own life. When we isolate ourselves from others, we get it wrong. God has made us to be in a body and we need each other. And it, it's not the whole picture, but it is a vital part. We need the church. If somebody um, has never submitted their thoughts or their leading or their understanding to another Christian and got input, they are probably going to be misled. And that applies to all of us. The very next thing is in Acts chapter 16. We're going fast now. And I'm going to read you a passage about Paul and his 
uh, companions, when they were now, they'd been sent out and they're going to try and fulfill the Great Commission wherever they're going. But I think it may surprise you. It surprised me when I first read it. It says in verse 6 of Acts 16, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and then a vision appeared to Paul calling him. The, the picture that I'm wanting us to see here this is how I think many Christians think guidance works. Many of us, and I include myself, we, we've thought it's almost like we just sit in this kind of weird meditative position and we say, Lord, I'm hovering, waiting for guidance. And if you tell me to go, I will go. But until you tell me to go, I'm just going to sit here, Lord, and I'm going to do nothing and I'm going to wait. Is that true? I think many people are like that. They say, I don't want to step out of the will of God, so I'm just going to stand still, and I'm going to wait. And when God speaks, I'll move, and I'm ready to move, but I'm not going to move until he speaks. And I want to say to you, that is the opposite of what we see in Paul's life. He was going, and he says, I'm trying to go into Mysia. Uh-oh, God says no. I'm, keeping, I'm going to go into Bithynia. God says no. He's not waiting for guidance on what to do. He's waiting for God to tell him what not to do. And until then, he's moving because he already knows what the Great Commission says. He knows it's about loving God and loving others and sharing the gospel with the world. And so he says, I'm going to do that. I've been sent out by the church. I know what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. And if God wants me to do something different, he will tell me. Rather than saying, I'm just a piece of putty waiting for God to mold me. No, I already know where I'm going. And I have found this, if I'm honest with you, the biggest help in my Christian life. You know, there's a verse in Isaiah. Let me see if I can find it. 30. Where is it? Isaiah 30, verse 21. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, whenever you turn to the right or the left. Now, in the Bible, when it talks about turning to the right or the left, it talks about making a mistake. Again and again and again. Whenever it says you turn to the right or the left, it means you've made a mistake. You've taken a wrong turning. This verse says you will only hear the voice when you turn to the right or the left. I really can't stress this enough. Paul was not waiting for a constant voice to say, do this, don't do this, don't. He says, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. God loves the world. He sent Jesus to save us and he wants us to tell people about it. We know what we're supposed to be doing. And if there's something specific that he wants to say, he's well able to tell me. But it's only when I go to the right or to the left. It's, it's a massive difference. Instead of, instead of living my life in doubt and saying, I wonder if I'm where God wants me to be. I wonder if I heard when I thought he said I should do this. I wonder if I heard that right. Instead of living in constant doubt and being unsure of myself and unsure of God, suddenly I'm living in faith because I say, if I'm going wrong, God will tell me 
and therefore I'm fine. <laughs> Obviously, you put this in the context of don't sin, don't do anything that's not, a, you know, that's not against the Bible. But clearly, if I'm moving ahead, I'm trusting, I'm fully in the will of God, because if I go to Bithynia and he doesn't want me, he'll say no. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. The next verse is really interesting. So it says they ended up at Troas. And while they were in Troas, so Troas is right on the border, on the coast. And then across the sea, there's Macedonia and this place called Philippi, which was completely out of the Jewish. There was not even a synagogue there. There were no Jews there. And it was not really a normal place for Paul to have thought of going. But while they were in Troas... A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over and help us. So after we had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we went to Samothrace, Neapolis, Philippi, and we were staying in that city for some days. On the Sabbath, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. We sat down and spoke to the women who we met there. And if you read on in Acts 16, it's woman after woman after woman that are the first converts in Philippi. There's a lady called Lydia. There's other women at the riverside. There's a young girl who's got a, a, an evil spirit that gets cast out of her. But it's woman after woman after woman in Philippi who get saved. And they are the start of the church. Eventually, later, a man, the Philippian jailer who, who had jailed Paul, gets saved. But the first, I don't know, many converts were all women. And yet... In Troas, Paul has a vision in the night of a man from Macedonia saying, I need to get saved. Come and help me. And it's not a man. It's a woman and another woman and another woman and another woman. Again, this for me is so helpful in understanding how God guides us because 1 Corinthians 13 says, we know in part, we prophesy in part, we see through a glass dimly. One day we'll see clearly face to face, but in this life, hearing the voice of God is a dim, murky business. And that's why it says in the next chapter, 1 Corinthians 14, when anyone prophesies, let the others judge it, because it's never clear. <laughs> when someone hears from the Lord, there is often um, a bit of them that they've thrown in. So somebody says, I've heard the Lord says this, this, and this. There's probably something of what God said, but there's probably a bit of them, and there's probably a bit of the TV show they heard the night before, and there's something else, and it's murky. And Paul thinks he sees a man from Macedonia calling over. Imagine he'd been like many of us are, and he gets there, and there's just women at the river. He would have said, oh, well, this isn't the place for me, because I was supposed to preach to a man. But he doesn't do that. He says, I know the gospel. I know the Great Commission. It's women. I saw a man. Oh, well, we see through a glass dimly. Let's get on with the mission. Does that make sense? Yeah. Instead of just being too pedantic and thinking, well, that word was so, I've got to get it just right. It's going to be murky. It's always going to be murky. There's another really interesting thing about this. He's in Troas. They've tried to go to Mysia. They've tried to go to Bithynia. They don't know where they're supposed to go. They're waiting in Troas. And at night, he gets a vision. But a couple of chapters later, 
we see that Paul's done a bit of traveling and he comes back to Troas and there's a church there. I don't know if you remember the story, but he preaches all night and a young guy called Eutychus falls out the window. And how did that church get started in Troas? I believe while Paul was waiting, confused, not sure what God was saying, he preached in Troas and a church started. Without a whole lot of whiz-bang guidance from the Lord saying, Paul, you must start a church in Troas. He doesn't need the guidance because he knows the Great Commission says preach the gospel. And so he gets on with it. And the, the guidance is just fine-tuning to what he already knows from his 14 years of learning from God. He already knows what God wants him to do. And the guidance is just a little nudge. Is that okay? Yeah, it's good. So let's move on. This now gets a little bit even more surprising. In Acts 18, two chapters later, Paul is now in a town called Corinth. And he's been preaching, but he's having a hard time. And he's getting a lot of opposition. And he's getting uh, very nervous. And in verse 9, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. So imagine this, the scene again. Paul has a vision at night. And it says, Do not be afraid. Speak. Do not keep silent. I am with you. No one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. So Paul gets a vision in the night in Corinth. And it's such a clear, multi-technicolor vision. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. Stay in the city. Um, I don't know about you, if you had a vision like that, imagine you were visiting Guernsey for the weekend and in the night God appeared to you in a vision and said, don't be afraid, this is the place where I'm doing great things, stay here and do ministry for me. Most of us would stay in Guernsey, even though it's going to be really hard and a lot of sacrifice to do that, but we would stay there and we would preach, but many of us are different to Paul because we would think, I've had this Dramatic vision. Therefore, Guernsey is the place I must stay for the rest of my life. Most of us would. If we'd had a dramatic vision like that, we would say, boy, I must never leave this place because God is with me. But the very next verse says, and so Paul stayed there a year and six months and then moved on. What I'm wanting us to see here is that a vision doesn't change what Paul already knows from the Great Commission and from the Word of God and His mission. A, a, a dramatic supernatural vision doesn't change everything he'd already learned. It just, it's just a slight encouragement, but the, the weight of what he already knows from the Great Commission overrides a dramatic vision. All right. Um, quickly now, he moves on to a place called Ephesus, and he writes from Ephesus. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9. He says, A great and effective door has opened to me here, and there are many adversaries. The reason I'm reading that verse is because many of us use a, a guidance technique called open and closed doors, don't we? We say, this door opened, therefore God wants me there. This door closed, therefore God does not want me to do this. Have you ever done that or said that? And I'm wanting us to see that the definition of open and closed doors for Paul was not the same as what we usually call an open and closed door. Paul says, a great and effective door is open to me, and there are many adversaries. And when he talks about adversaries, he, in 
uh, 1 Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8, he says, we feared for our very lives here. In 1 Corinthians 15, 32, he says, I had to fight wild beasts in Ephesus. Basically, the circumstances were not the open door. The circumstances were against him. He said, I've got many adversaries. There was the fear of death. There was wild beasts. Most of us would not have called it an open door in Ephesus. The circumstances did not dictate to him what God's will was. The fact is he was able to start a church there. The Great Commission enabled him. People there were responding and a church was being formed. But the, the adversity was extreme against him. He really thought it was going to die. But he says, I'm staying here because there's an open door. We think of an open door as easy circumstances. But Paul did not. Difficult circumstances were not um, something that he considered God closing a door. He said the, the open door is people are responding to the gospel. And I think we are too easily swayed by circumstances. That's just my personal opinion. I think we think, oh, well, that, that's a little bit difficult. People are a bit horrible here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right, I'm going to close with one last story, and then I'm done. So Acts 21... Very, very last story. Um, verse 8. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. So Philip is the guy, I don't know if you remember the story earlier in Acts, he actually got picked up and put in another place. He kind of flew through the sky. I mean, he was a miracle worker. And they're staying with Philip. And it says, this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. So he's also got four daughters who are prophets. And we stayed there many days. A certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. He was the main prophet. So um, this is starting to be a, a meeting of heavyweights. There's Philip. There's Agabus. There's Paul. There's Paul's companions, Timothy, Luke, the other people who were big names in the church. There's the four prophesying daughters. Um, and Agabus comes up to Paul in verse 11. He took Paul's belt, bound his hands and feet and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So the prophet comes up to Paul, takes his belt, ties his hands and says, If you go to Jerusalem, you're going to get bound up and persecuted. And the next verse says, Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. So there's a prophetic, imagine we're in a conference like this and somebody comes up to you with a prophetic word and they say something. And all the Christians around you are saying, this means this, this means don't do this or do this or whatever. But I want you to see Paul's response to, to personal prophecy. Because many of us have had personal prophecy. We have another Christian come to us and they say, I have a word from the Lord for you. And they deliver the word. Listen to what Paul says. Paul answered and said, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying the will of the Lord be done. Paul had already heard from God. 
and he could interpret the prophecy and what everyone else was saying, the pressure was extreme. All these big heavyweight Christians were saying to him, do not go to Jerusalem. Do not go to Jerusalem. The Lord says, do not go to Jerusalem. But he said, I know I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem. Personal prophecy did not sway him from what he knew to be God's will. Because he already knew God's will. And I want to say that this is the last piece of the puzzle. Personal prophecy is supposed to just confirm what God has already said to us. If somebody gives us a personal prophecy that goes different to what God has already been saying to us, that's not how God works. He speaks to us as well as the person who's giving us a word. And if somebody tells you something, um, I, I use the example of somebody coming to you and saying, the Lord says, go and start a church in Ghana. If you haven't heard that for yourself, then you should say to the person, well, you better come with me to Ghana because obviously I can't hear from the Lord enough. You better come with me. I need you to tell me what the next thing he's going to say is. We've got to be able to hear from the Lord ourselves. And Paul clarifies why he said this. In Acts 20, verse 22, he says, Now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. God had already told him there was going to be chains and tribulations in Jerusalem, but he knew his mission and his purpose. And when Agabus had come and tied his hands with his belt and said there's going to be trials in Jerusalem, Agabus was right. He had heard from God correctly, but the application of the prophecy which everyone then jumped in on and said, don't go to Jerusalem. That was wrong. The prophecy was right, but the application was for Paul himself to hear. And I just want to close by saying personal prophecy is helpful if it confirms what God has already said to you. And if it lines up with what you already know from the Bible of what God is leading you to do. But don't throw out everything you already know from the gospel just because some big pressure or some big prophecy or some spectacular thing happens it's only to confirm what God has already said and when we put all of this in big context we see that Paul was mainly guided by the great commission and by what he knew of scripture and the prophecies and all these other things were the slight adjustments to either encourage or guide him at slight changes on the way Okay, let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you have promised to guide us, that you've promised to let us hear your voice. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would learn from Paul and we would run our race, the race that you've called us to, Lord, that we wouldn't get blown off track. I pray that you would help us to follow his example. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.